Hi, Logos Baptist Family Church, um, Pastor Johnny and Sophie, thank you once again for allowing me to share the word with you all today. Looking forward to um, sharing what the scripture has to teach us about prayer and um, blessings to you all. Good morning, WBFM family. Um, I pray that today would be a blessing to each of you. And as we enter into today's word on prayer, that it would be something that would go um, not just into our minds, but into our lives. Good morning, Encounter. I'm looking forward to sharing um, a word from scripture with you all today. And I'm praying that it wouldn't just be more knowledge that we accumulate that goes into our minds and kind of falls out of our minds, but that it would just really enter into our hearts and our lives and that the, we would really encounter the Lord today together. So let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And as we pray this prayer that you've taught us how to pray, God, I pray that our ears would be opened and our eyes would see things we've never seen in your word before that it would touch our lives in ways that we've never allowed it to, and that we would be open to how your spirit speaks. In your name we pray. Amen. So today I want to return to that familiar prayer that we prayed at the beginning of this sermon. Now, many people know it as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, and it's an answer to a question in Luke chapter 11 that the disciples had. They saw Jesus often going off by himself to a mountaintop to pray, and they had a burning question. Lord, teach us how to pray. What I love about that question is they could have asked him to teach them so many things, and I'm sure they did, but what's recorded here is their desire to learn how to pray. See, they saw Jesus give incredible sermons. He gives the, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. It's one of the most well-known um, sermon examples of blessed are those who are, who are meek. Blessed are those who are mourning, for they'll be comforted. Just this beautiful sermon. And they could have said, Lord, teach us how to preach or how to speak to crowds like you do. Or even consider the miracles. They saw him do signs and wonders, raise people from the dead. If I was in their, in their shoes, I might be asking, Lord, teach me how to do those miracles. <laughs> teach me how to raise the dead. Teach me how to lay hands on the sick person and watch them get up when they haven't been able to walk their entire life. And yet what we see is them ask Jesus, teach us how to pray. I think the disciples observed something from the Lord's life is that the speaking he did, the preaching he did, the loving he did, the healing he did, it came from this life of prayer, this constant conversation Jesus was having with the Father. And so they really asked a wise thing. I think perhaps their request to be taught how to pray was an answer to one of Jesus's prayers. I'm sure in one of those night, all-nighters that Jesus pulled, just praying and seeking the Father, he sought 
that the Father's will would be done. And part of that was the disciples learning how to pray, the 12 he had then and the many he has now, that we would know how to pray. And I'm just, I'm not going to go line by line, but what I am going to do to do is just look at this prayer from a bird's eye view to say, how is it that we come into prayer? Why is it that we come to prayer? And what can we learn from this model? In Matthew chapter six, where we see the Lord's prayer appearing also. So it appears in Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter six. We see that Jesus says, this is how you should pray or in this manner pray. It's a model for prayer. It's not necessarily, this is the magic formula or repeat these words after me several times and and the Father will have to hear your prayer. It's not a magic formula. It's not a spell. It's a prayer. It's a model for praying. It's saying, this is the manner in which you pray. These are the components of prayer that need to exist. These are the important things that we need to talk to the Father about. And so when we come to the Lord's Prayer, it starts with those two words. And we're going to be spending most of our time on those two words, our Father. Because the rest of this prayer really flows from those two words, our Father. Let's look at the word our for a moment. (laughs) O-U-R, such a small word, but so pregnant with meaning. That word our, it reassures us that we're not alone in our faith journey. Sometimes in North America, we can have such an individualized and privatized um, look at faith. We can think that this is my personal relationship with Jesus, and therefore I don't need to share it with anybody. I don't need to go to church. It's just me and Jesus. And yes, we have to make a personal choice to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of our life. We have to make a personal confession of faith that he died and rose again and that we believe in him. Yes, there is a personal element to that. But there's also this element of once we come into faith, once we've accepted what Jesus Christ has done for us, we're now not alone in this process. It's now not just me and Jesus white knuckling it to the end. Now we're part of a family. We're part of a community that is bigger than ourselves. Sometimes there's this belief going around that if I'm a Christian, I don't need to belong to a church or I don't need to um, be part of the church community. We can sometimes have this mentality that if I'm a Christian, I can be a Christian in a silo. Uh, This is a solo artist game rather than realizing that we're part of a chorus, that we're part of a greater heritage and history. We belong to God's people. We belong to this great cloud of witnesses that has gone before us. We belong to the church here present on the earth He is our father, not just my father, not just your father. But when we've come to the faith, we've come to the family of God. And he is therefore our father. So if I'm praying this prayer on my own in in my room and there's nobody else around me, I still come to our father. There's this still recognition that I belong to the family of God, that I have been adopted into God's family. And there's a place of belonging for me there. 
And so we come to prayer on that basis that we are not the only ones praying. What a relief, right? <laughs> if it was just up to me and, and my prayers that God's kingdom would come, then it never would. But because I belong to this family, because I belong to this community of faith, your prayers and my prayers, my prayers and the person beside me's prayers, your prayers and your family's prayers, all of those, those people in other countries right now, the people in um, that are asleep right now because they're in a different time zone completely than us, but are people of faith. We all belong to the same family. We are brothers and sisters and together our prayers are... Um, offered up to God. Together we say, our Father, we are children in this family. And so this prayer, the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, it is not just a vertical prayer, but it's a prayer that has horizontal implications. And we'll see that later when um, when you look at the portion that's about, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Prayer is not just contemplation on who God is, but it's very much action and bringing who God is into our now. So this word our, it suggests that we are part of a greater family. You know, 87 times in the New Testament, we see the phrase one another, love one another, encourage one another, bear with each other, forgive one another. There's this constant reminder that this, that our faith is expressed to one another with one another. And I think that's a beautiful way to start prayer is to realize we're not praying alone, that there's others we can ask prayer from, and there's others we can pray for. And together we pray our father. This word father is such a unique um, word that Jesus used here in prayer. In Judaism, we don't see God revealing himself as a father. We don't see the, the Jewish nation regarding God as their personal father. We see he's the father of the nation, but each person, we don't see that. We don't see um, rabbis in Orthodox Judaism calling God their father. In fact, the fact that Jesus called God his father, got him into lots of hot water with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said, this man even claims God to be his father. How could he do such a thing? This is blasphemy. You know, God is so, so great and high and far and above us. He is so distant. He is so other that how could he be close and be father? And yet when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, he says, say father, say our father, in the Old Testament, we see that God is like a father, but he's not addressed as such. Jesus comes and he kind of breaks in with this scandalous grace, with this scandalous relationship, saying, God, our father who art in heaven. And this is, this is just showing that God is more. He's more than just the creator, although he created each and every one of us. He's more than just the judge, although he has the right to judge the living and the dead. He's more than a lawgiver, although he's the one who gave the law to Moses. He's more than the faithful one, the covenant keep, keeper, although we see him doing that from Old to New Testament. He's more than just Lord. He's our father. He is all those things and more. And what's beautiful about that is he's not just these distant, faraway titles, but he's our father. 
There's this closeness. There's this intimacy to that term. And when we see in 1 John 3, verse 1, it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. How great is this love? This first line of the Lord's Prayer, it draws us into that love. It draws us to consider that, wow, the creator, the judge, the the lawgiver, the covenant faithful keeper, he is also my father. How great is this love? It is lavished on us that we should be called children of God. We were enemies of God. We, we were, we were, our sin pushes us into that enemy place. And yet he, he himself came to make us right in right relationship with our father, in right relationship with him. Like the prodigal son, we also run and say, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And yet we find our heavenly father embracing us as he did in the, in the prodigal that we ourselves are that prodigal or we ourselves are maybe find ourselves as the older brother who's sitting on the porch and who still does not know the father's love, who's had a share of the father's estate and yet not of the father's heart. Didn't understand that that home was not just a place where he worked and lived, but that home was in his father's heart, his father's love for him. And this, this Lord's prayer invites us to come home Whether we're far away in a distant country or we're right on the back porch, we're so close. He invites us home to his heart, home to be part of his family, to recognize that we are sons and daughters. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and told them in John 8, 42, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. In other words, they were keeping the law. They were doing, checking all the boxes and doing all the right stuff. But for what reason? They didn't yet know God as father. They didn't yet have real relationship with him. They were keeping all the rules, but they didn't know they had a father in heaven who loved them. They were like that older brother in the prodigal son parable who said, I've worked for you all this time. And how could you accept this prodigal who spent all your money on loose living and, and you haven't even thrown a party for me. They, they were keeping the legalistic um, law to, to the letter. But they didn't know they had a father. They didn't know that everything the father always had was theirs. Do you know that you have a heavenly father? See, the next part says, our father who art in heaven. Some of us watching today, we've had bad experiences with our earthly father, maybe the word father or dad or papa or whatever you call your earthly father, maybe it has a lot of baggage for you. Maybe your earthly parent did not show you what a real good father or a real good mother is. Maybe you were abused or taken advantage of, neglected in some way. Maybe emotionally, they were just so far from you. And you've never known the close love of a parent, of a good, good father. And we have this invitation in the Lord's Prayer to know a father who is not of earth, but of heaven, a perfect father. And so in the ways that our own parents have failed, whether intentionally or unintentionally, 
whether severely, moderately, or mildly, however the degrees are, no parent is perfect. Whatever example we had from an earthly father and, it, and they disappointed us, we can look to our heavenly father and say, you are our father in heaven. You are a heavenly father. You are a perfect father. This points us to the fact that earth is not our final destination. This is not our final home. If we have a father in heaven, then we have a home in heaven. And there is more to life than just this present moment. We can spend so much of our time and energy and days living for this earth, living for earthly values, living for societal influences, chasing um, prominence and promotions, chasing a higher paycheck, more status. This prayer reminds us that our home is actually heaven, not here on earth, because our heavenly father who loves us dwells there. Our Father who art in heaven. It says, Hallowed be your name. Hallowed is not a word we really use very often. Um, it's, it's just like the word holy or sanctified. Like your name is so set apart. Your name is so different than any other name. Hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, if we come back to the concept of God as our father, which we see Jesus constantly referring, he refers to God as his father all the way through the New Testament. There's only one time where he does not. And that is when he's on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 27. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It comes right back to that relational language of father, son, and he models this for us in this prayer, our father. And when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. We notice something about this relationship we have with our heavenly father. Yes, it is, it is intimate and it is full of grace and full of love. He lavishes that love on us. There's another aspect to it where he deserves our respect, where it's a we're asking for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I like to think about this in, in a couple ways. First of all, I like to think about the fact that I'm made of earth. You're made of earth. Adam was made of the dust of the earth. Often at funerals, um, you know, dirt is kind of sprinkled over a casket. And it says, from dust you came, from dust you will return a reminder of our mortality, a reminder of the finiteness of this human experience here on earth. What is God's will? What is his desire? What is it he desires and longs for? What is his purpose in my life, in your life? And then from there, in our circles of influence, in our families and our friends, in our workplaces, in our cities, in our towns, in our nation, what are God's heart purposes? What does it mean for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? We see Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and he's saying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Is there any way for this cup to be taken from me? Is there any way yet not my will, but yours be done? Jesus understood that the father's will can be trusted. 
See, sometimes we avoid prayer for a couple reasons. <laughs> sometimes we're just really tired and we go to pray and we just fall asleep. And maybe that's because we're pushing ourselves too hard and we haven't taken proper time to rest. And we just need to sleep. And maybe that's a holy thing in that moment. But sometimes we avoid prayer because we're afraid God might ask something of us that we're not prepared to do or want something from us that we're not prepared to give. And part of that reveals a lack of trust on our part. God, do I really trust that you are good? And that even if you ask me to do a hard thing, that it will result in goodness. God, do I really trust that your will is better than mine? Because mine feels more comfortable or mine feels better, God. But do I really trust your will? Many of us, not all of us, but many of us grew up in a democracy where everything is negotiable, where my needs as an individual trump the needs of the group. Now, if that's the case, when we come to hear your kingdom come, it's kind of lost in a fuzzy translation for us. But he's the king. He's the king of kings. And if his kingdom is to come on this earth, in my life, in my spheres of influence, in the world, then what does it look like to honor him as that king? To honor his will, to honor his heart, and to trust that he's a good father. It says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So don't be like the pagans and Babylon and on with empty words. We can trust the heart of our father. We can trust that our father's heart is good. It is loving. It is caring and kind. That he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. Not that all things in our life are good, but that he works them together for good. And we can trust him. So we can trust that when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, and the submission that's involved in that, we can trust that prayer because we can trust our Father. J.I. Packard, in his famous book, Knowing God, had this to say, you sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's Holy Father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught and everything that makes the New Testament new, everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. Wow. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our, under, our grasp on adoption. And so where does he get this idea of adoption? We find this in Galatians 4, verse 6, where Paul's talking to the Galatians about how they're, they don't have to, um, be, they're not slaves to the Old Testament covenant. They're not slaves to the law, but rather they're children, beloved of God. In Galatians 4, verse 4, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. 
And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Many of us are still walking around every day as spiritual orphans. We behave and we act in our everyday life as if we don't have a heavenly father, as if it's all up to us, as if we're all alone. This shows up in our worries and anxieties. This shows up in our workaholism. This shows up in our lack of enthusiasm for community, for church family, for prayer, for the spiritual disciplines, we think, okay, well, this is just another obligation I have to do. This is a heavy load I have to carry. So when Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Learn from me these rhythms of grace. When, when Jesus comes and, and says these things to us, it's an invitation to walk closely with him, to know him in relationship, not in religion not in a set of right and wrong rules that we have to check those boxes and, and worry about all the time. This is, that's the way that the pagans thought about their gods. The Greeks thought, the Greco-Roman times thought about their gods, that they had to placate them somehow, that they had to somehow appease their anger constantly. And this is not the God that we serve. We have a good father. And when we come to prayer, we need to come with that mindset and that understanding that he is our father. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. This word daily bread, when we go back into the Greek, one of the, the meanings of this, this thing that is translated daily into English from the Latin is actually super substantial. This word super substantial is this word that means a bread that satisfies, not a bread that will, I'll eat it and I'll be hungry again in two minutes because it's not, you know, it's just so full of air. But this is like, give us our super substantial bread. To the Jewish mind, this would have reminded them of manna. We know that manna fell and six days out of the week, this, this bread from heaven would fall down and they would go out of their tents and collect as, as much as they want just for that day. And they have to just use up that portion for the day and then wake up the next day and collect a fresh portion. And if you didn't use it by the end of the day, it would kind of go gross and have maggots and things going in it. So you had to trust, you had to trust every single day in the desert where there's no food that God was going to provide. You had to trust that when you woke up in the morning, that his promises were true, as true as they were the day before. You had to trust. And that trust was manifested through obedience, through action, through not taking more than you needed. The only time they were allowed to do that was on the sixth day, because the seventh day, he said, this is a Sabbath. They don't want you working. You can get double that day. You had to trust that that was true. You would wake up and there was your daily bread. There was what was, would sustain you, what was substantial enough for that day. What's interesting is that Jesus refers to himself often as this bread, the bread of heaven. In John chapter 6, we see Jesus saying to them, very truly in verse 32, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, 
but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So we see that Jesus himself is this super substantial bread. We can try to fill our lives with things that do not satisfy, with things that do not last. And every day we can wake up and chase the American or Canadian dream. We can chase that. If I just had another thousand dollars, two thousand, three thousand, four thousand, five thousand, six thousand, whatever it is, keep chasing it. A hundred thousand. Okay, I need a million. Now I need two million. I need a better car. I need a better house. I need a better job title. I need more prestige. When will it be enough? I, oh, I need to get married. I need to have kids. I need my kids to be in the best school possible. I need my kids to be in dance and gymnastics and soccer. And I need them to, to do all these things. And it's never enough. And when those things become our identity, when those things become the bread that we think is going to satisfy us, we wake up hungry and empty every single day because we're not feeding on the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Give us this day our daily bread, our, the super substantial bread. Give us your presence, God. Give us yourself. We are worth more than many sparrows, and he knows our needs. He clothes the lilies of the valley that are here today and tomorrow thrown in the fire. He cares for the birds that fall to the ground, and no one notices, but God does, because God takes care of his creatures, and God takes care of his children. And God will take care of you and he will take care of me. And this is the father to whom we pray, our father. Now we don't have time to get into the rest of of this portion, but I wish we did because it's so rich and hopefully we'll return to the rest of the our father um, in in a different sermon. But today I just want us to leave with that understanding that when we pray, it's not something we have to do. It's not an obligation we have to check off. Prayer is something we get to do. Because we are children of God. My children get to ask me for things. They get to ask me for snacks or new sneakers or whatever it is they need. They get to tell me that they're fighting with their sibling and they need my help to sort that out. They get to come to me. That is the privilege and the honor of being my child. And in the same way, the privilege and honor of being God's child is we get to come to him. We get to bring him our needs. We get to bring him our hurts. We get to bring him our struggles and our wrestlings. We get to bring him our questions and our doubts, our complaints and our laments. We get to do that. We don't, it's not something we're like, we have to do this. Oh no, I don't want to. I'm avoiding it because it's something I have to do and I'm dreading it. No, it's some, something we get to do. It's someone we get to come to. What a privileged prayer is when we look at it through the lens of our father, through the lens of adoption as sons and daughters. It is not something we earn. It is a gift that we are given. So as you come to the scriptures, as you come to prayer this week, whether you're praying um, this as your model of prayer or something else, just know who you're coming to 
is a good father. And on the basis of that, you make your request. Let's pray together. So our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. God, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Because you are our good Father and you forgive us. Let us forgive others. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.